The following is a presentation of the PTB Media Network. Parking the Bus podcast can be followed on Apple Podcasts and on Spotify, or if you have an Amazon Echo by simply saying, Alexa, play the Parking the Bus podcast. Don't forget to check out the show's homepage at www.parkingthebusmedia.com. What's up, PTB Nation? Welcome to episode 57 of Parking the Bus here on the PTB Media Network. Special hello to everybody listening both on the live stream, whether you're watching on YouTube, on um, Periscope, on Facebook, or you're listening to the podcast feed after the fact. It's Sunday, June the 27th of 2021. And as you can imagine, I'm a little bit down this evening because the defending champions have been eliminated of course you all know by now that is my team you see the scarf right behind me if you're watching portugal lose one nil tonight to the to belgium in a match that i think i'm sorry to say was all too predictable in my opinion um it was exactly what i was worried about i think that uh portugal actually played quite well today but at the end of the day you don't advance for playing well. You don't advance for style points. You don't advance for connecting passes. You don't advance for possessing the ball. You don't advance for a positive attacking attitude. You advance based on scoring goals, and that did not happen in the 90 minutes today. Those of you that joined me last night saw myself and Leo go at it a little bit. Uh, different side of me. I usually don't get like that. Um, it's very rare that I get that animated, but he has a way of bringing it out in me. And as you probably could tell, we disagreed on plenty last night. And unfortunately, I was right about the wrong game, and he was right about the wrong game. The way I was looking at it, all right, also today, the Netherlands bow out in an upset that I didn't see coming. I admit I didn't see coming. And when you have a podcast and when you have a YouTube stream, and you come on these, these platforms and you give your opinions to people, you are vulnerable. You are eventually going to get one wrong. And I have gotten more wrong than I've gotten right in this Euro, I think. I'm not exactly keeping track, but we will, at the end of the show, check out the standings in the Fought Mob contest, right, that, that I've got going on. The... Um, the Pick'em Contest, we'll take a look at that uh, before the end of the show tonight. And you'll f- probably find me in last place um, because I didn't get any of these groups right. Okay, things did not go according to plan, obviously. Some people saw it better than I did. Um, but today, I had a strong opinion on Portugal's, I don't want to say their performance because the performance was there. But the situation they found themselves in was a result of things that happened in the group stage. And I've got some feedback on Twitter that that's, you know, going at me saying that I've got it wrong. In fact, why don't I pull it up and read it to you, okay? Because this guy likes to question everything I say on Twitter, which is fine. 
Um, like I said, uh, my platforms are always open for discussion. I'm not getting into a Twitter war, tweeting back and forth. I'll just simply respond to it here on this platform because this is where I speak my mind. The Twitter exists for me to engage with you, but I want you, if you want to engage with me, okay, and if you want to come at me, you're going you're gonna to listen to me say things so that there is no confusion so that there is no lack of context because let's on this podcast i don't deal in 180 characters or whatever it is pulling up my tweet right now i i put this out from my mr benfica uh twitter handle um after the match and if you don't know you should know by now to follow me on my ptv on my parking the bus handle that's at ptv underscore media and um if you're tuning in for the first time i am the mr mike agustinio um here you know as always putting my thoughts out there and we don't get them right every time okay but here is what i said um in regards to the end of the match okay this is from at benfica mr my other twitter handle i simply said that the mismanagement and lack of preparation in one game in parentheses versus germany Led to finishing third. And this matchup, I won't say we were unlucky. And I I stand by that statement. I'm not going to come on here tonight and tell you Portugal were unlucky because they were not unlucky. They put themselves in a situation to take on FIFA's number one ranked team. They had the opportunity to not be in this situation. And I said, we put ourselves in this situation. I said, well done to Belgium. How... What else would I say after this? And one of my followers that likes to go at me, at Investor 1980, 1904, excuse me, he told me you don't learn anything from wins. You learn from mistakes and losses. After the Germany game, I see a nearly unplayable Portugal. You can't just blame the manager. It's everyone. It's a collective sport. I don't even disagree with that. I'm talking simply in terms of results. Everybody got it wrong against Germany, okay? But you can't sit here and say that the manager didn't, that the manager made the right adjustments. Listen, we Portugal played four matches in this Euro. Three of them, I think they did well. I think three of them were well-planned, well-executed, even if the style wasn't appeasing. I don't give two you-know-whats about that. I don't care about the style, okay? I don't. I think three out of the four matches, the manager even got it right. I defend this manager more than any other podcaster talking Portuguese football. You don't believe me? Go listen to the Celeste podcast, okay, with, with Danny Pinto and Eric Krakauer, which is an awesome podcast, by the way, okay? They're not wrong, but they're much more, they're much more critical of the manager than I am, okay? I try to make a fair and balanced analysis of the manager and of the players and that match with germany was underprepared and mismanaged germany went to the well every time in the same way and that was never addressed in any of the substitutions he goes on to say you're basically saying we should have outperformed the entirety of group f damn that's some absolute genius where did you come up with this i have not responded because i'm going to do it right here Okay, I don't do I'm not going to get into a Twitter war with this guy. I'm going to respond right here. All I said was if that match was better prepared and you can't 
come at me and say that that was well prepared. If we get a point in the match, we're not playing Belgium today. We're playing England on Tuesday. We're second place if we get a point in that match. And in fact, we get a point in that match, and Germany may very well have, have gone home. Who knows what they would have done in the final match against Hungary. Um, Actually, they would have had two points just like Hungary. And if they don't score four goals on us, they probably don't get the, the advantage. Okay, they probably don't get the goal difference. Who knows? Okay, yes, Hungary took a 3-0 beating from us. But first of all, there's no need for personal insults and to, to sarcastically say that it's absolute genius. I'm the one putting myself out there. I'm the one making predictions. I'm, okay, that falls on me. I get that. I want to talk into this microphone every night and make predictions I'm going to get them wrong. I own that. However, how can you sit here and say that I've said that they should have outperformed. No, I'm saying if the other two matches went like they did, okay, and I thought we did well in the other two matches. We did well against France. I was happy with that. We did well against Hungary. I know people don't like the style or the approach, but I thought we managed the match well. The substitutions were well made, okay? The players came through in the clutch. Okay, every substitute Santos made against Hungary made an impact on the match. We can't say that about today. If you really want to get that that nitty picky about it. I'm not blaming the manager per se. I'm saying that the preparation, yes, that falls on the manager and the management of the match in that match was not done correctly. That's going to happen. They took that match off. Ever since UEFA extended the field to 24, allowing third-place teams to go in. Portugal has felt too comfortable in the group stages. If you disagree with me on that, go back and watch the, the six group stage matches we've played. Okay? Look at the last five minutes against Germany. Portugal were more than happy to take a two-goal loss versus risking anything to, to shorten the goal difference. All right? Now, I'm simply saying... Had everything else gone the way it did, and if that match had been better planned, and if you want to tell me that match was well planned, that's your opinion. That's fine. Say that. Don't call, don't sarcastically call me some kind of genius. I'm making the same constructive criticism that other people are making. In fact, I came on here and I said it wasn't about Nelson. You heard me go at it with Leo last night over Nelson Semedo. And guess what? How did Diogo Dalo do today? You were, was anybody happy with that? Did he do anything? Anything that said, oh, yeah, that's the right back we should have had. Did he do anything today that would tell you that against Germany it would have been different when, there, when there's an overload on his side? Of course not. Did he give us anything going forward? Anything special at all? Of course not. You're not going to fix the whole team by swapping out Nelson Smithle. That was a bad decision. There's no question about it. That was a bad decision. And why is... One moment, everybody. My computer wants to restart. I am not going to restart it. If you lose me in this one, okay? If I should somehow go down, I will be back up as soon as possible. Um, just to let you know. I am not going to uh, restart. I hope it does not do it on its own. 
So now that I've addressed that tweet, okay, you're free to believe what you want at Investor1904. We have disagreed. You and I have disagreed about just about everything, whether it's pertaining to our club, Benfica, or to this Portuguese national team. You like to see the game played a certain way. I respect that. You like to defend the managers. I feel like I defend the managers, but not to the level that, that this gentleman does, and that's fine. No, it's not all on the manager. No, it's not. I understand that. All I simply said was we found ourselves in third place, which did us in today. So I'm not going to say we were unlucky today because we lost in a game where we were the better team, sure. But at the end of the day, again, I don't buy into this whole, you, and I got kind of triggered by, I got kind of triggered by Leo last night talking about a certain team dominating. If you don't score goals, you don't dominate. Dave here says this was 100% on the attackers' lack of quality and attempts when they had them. Absolutely. Today, yes. Um, and actually, throughout the tournament, we missed a lot of opportunities. Okay, Diogo Jota comes to mind. He did not have a good tournament. Um, also, you know, listen. Yes, Diogo Jota did things off the ball that I liked. In front of goal, nobody really, really delivered. We got well, we get two goals from open play in this tournament. Okay. That one was we got three goals from open play. Excuse me. We got the Rafael Guerrero deflection. That's fine. We earned it. Okay, you made you made the passes, you put the player in position to make the shot. And yes, it deflected, but that's because you took the shot. Okay. We got the Cristiano Ronaldo dribbling Golachi against against Hungary as well on a good combination play. And we got the Cristiano Ronaldo tapping. Those were the only goals we scored from open play. I understand that. Okay. Nelson says we would have liked to seen more of uh, Andres Silva earlier in the matches. That's a tough situation. And yes, I think we could have seen more from him. Um, certainly, he's a guy that can put the ball in the back of the goal. Um Andres Silva is a very talented, true striker, okay? Fortunately, he has a guy named Cristiano Ronaldo in front of him, and I'm not going to start blaming Cristiano Ronaldo like some so-called fans want to do, okay? The guy delivered. He's 36 years old. He delivered. He stepped up and took penalty kicks that others might have missed. So, yes, I think I think this, we could have seen him earlier. Um, I think with the way Jota was playing, you could have moved Cristiano out to the left sooner and brought Andres Silva into play at the striker role. I think you're going to see more Andres Silva in this next, in this next cycle, getting working towards world cup 2022. Um, but again, in the lead up to this tournament, Diogo Jota was fantastic. He was our best player in the nation's league. Okay. He was delivering in, in the world cup qualifying. We had no way to guess that Diogo Jota was going to, and he, he still had a, he had, you know, a tap-in goal, but he was still at the right place at the right time. I give players credit for that. Some people don't. Some people call it just a tap-in. But in order to have the tap-in, you need to make the right run at the right time and be there. Um, yes, that's a substitution we could have made sooner. I agree. Um, also, I don't understand Danilo and and Sergio Oliveira coming into this match. Renato Sanchez is a engine. If he was gassed, that's one thing, but Sergio brings, he doesn't bring anything. 
that is going to make us more dangerous. He's just a good midfielder that can pass the ball well. But did he really bring anything that brought us closer to getting an equalizer? I don't know. Um, some of the substitutions today were not as well done as in the Hungary match and the France match, per se. I thought Jean Paigno was pretty good, but um, he was not as good going forward. I thought defensively he was good. He was strong. Every time he got in within you know any sort of range, he looked to put it at goal, but he put it out of the stadium every time. Maybe that's nerves. I don't know. Um, why don't we go right into the Portugal match? We're going to start with that today. I'm going to take Twitter down. Actually, I'm going to yeah, I'm going to take Twitter down in just a moment as um, we look at this right, and I'll have the lineups in a minute for you. This was a match where I think Portugal did. A sufficient job had the quality been there, like Dave said, in front of goal. Okay, we didn't get that quality in front of goal. And I'll even back it up a step. I don't know that we really got that quality in the delivery leading up to the shot either. We did on some set pieces. Okay, we had a Ronaldo free kick that forced the save from Courtois, but nobody was there for the rebound. We also had Bruno's corner kick that found Ruben Dias, which was our best chance of the game. Unfortunately, he did everything right, but he couldn't. He couldn't redirect the ball towards anywhere but where Coutois was standing. That ended up hurting us, certainly. And I think that, you know, the Rafael Guerrero ball off the post, also on a different day that goes in. Five years ago at Euro 2016, we were on the defensive end of that, and we saw an opponent. We saw uh, we saw Andre, Andre Pierre Gignac put the ball off the post and stoppage time in the final. These past five years would have been much different had Gignac's ball bounced off the post and in. It would have been another final lost, and we would not have been champions, and we'd still be underperformers in our own eyes. Um, And to some people, we still are. I understand that. But I think that the luck wasn't on our side, sure. But you know what? Again, I go back to the fact that we put ourselves – in a situation to play Belgium when we could have been playing England. And again, I could not believe my ears last night when Leo came on here with me, someone I have talked football with for over a year. And usually we we are on the same wavelength in a lot of ways. And he told me he believed Portugal took third on purpose to avoid England. I almost took this headset off and walked off this show, my own show last night when he said that. Um, and I'm going to try to get him in here tomorrow to fight with, to fight with that fade my plays so they can go at it over England because they have very polar opposite opinions of that team. But looking at today's Portugal versus Belgium. So let's go to the lineups now, now that I have talked for 20 odd minutes and not gotten into the lineups at all. Belgium come out in a three, four, two, one, as we expected. Thibaut Courtois is the goalkeeper. Toby Alderweireld is on the right center back. Uh, Mid-center back is Thomas Vermeulen. And, of course, the guy said we needed to pick on. Jan Berthongen was the left center back. I thought at times we made the runs there, but you know what? Vertonghen was not exposed tonight. Not enough for my liking. Maybe. We never saw that switch that I wanted to see. And that was putting Jota on the right side and running at Vertonghen. We never saw that. I think Rafa should have come into this match and run at Vertonghen. We didn't see that. So maybe as this show goes on, I'm going to become a little bit more critical of the manager. 
but that's fair game. You take on the role of the manager. Yes, you have to make difficult decisions. I've been there. And they don't always pan out. And you have to put your hand up and take the responsibility. And our manager did that against Germany. I haven't seen the press conference tonight. Um, but I wouldn't be surprised if he took the, the, the responsibility again. That's not my issue. But at the end of the day, some of the personnel choices in this match, I don't think he got right. Um, the four in midfield, Thomas Munier on wide on the right, Yuri Tillmans and Axel Witzel are the center midfield uh, pair with Thorgan Hazard uh, on wide on the left. And he had himself a fairly good match. Um, I think he outplayed his brother, first of all. Um, and Dave has a question. They control too much of the midfield for Rafa to be effective. Rafa on a counter is a pass. Perhaps you could be right, Dave. You could be right. Um, I'm just speaking in terms of trying to attack Vertonghen's lack of pace. And I thought we could do a better job of that tonight. And I didn't see it. I Maybe, you know, you can only make so many substitutions. You make a good point. Um, and yes, Rafa is much better when we're pinned in. And we were go we were playing on the front foot tonight, which makes him a little less accessible. Um, he needs the space to run. So perhaps perhaps Rafa was not the answer, but I even like a João Felix or you know Pot. What happened to Pot? Does the I don't know that he even dressed. Another problem. If Pot was not gonna play, and I'm talking about Pedro Gonzalez for those of you that don't know. If he was not going to play, why was he not at the U21s helping them win? They could have used him. If Nuno Menz was not going to play, and I'm not saying he should have played. I think Rafael Guerrero, you know, had himself another reasonably good match. I think he's fine, okay? And I'm not convinced yet that an 18-year-old kid at left back was going to make that big of a difference in a positive sense. But if those two guys were not going to be used, why not bring more experienced players? Why not... Um, and there we got a an emoji from Dave. If not, if you're not going to use those two players, why were they not at the U21s? Okay, they don't. I understand sometimes managers like to bring young players to give them the experience, but you usually don't have a youth tournament going on at the you know in the same month as a senior tournament, and they would have been very useful at the U21s and would have learned more, I think, than sitting in the stands. I'm not sure. I did not check which three players did not dress for this match. I'm going to assume Pop didn't dress because I didn't see him in all four matches come off the bench. Maybe he's the guy that should have come in to run it at Vertonghen tonight. You know, I, I would love to, and I wish I could have, I was not home, so I was not able to do so. I would have loved to have heard Fernando Santos' post-game press conference to better understand what he was coming from, where he was coming from. But I think that we did not exploit the back line of Belgium quite enough, um, especially early on when the game was more even. As we took control, that becomes harder to do because they were lying deeper and deeper. And, um, yeah, you know, the, the ESPN crew said it that, you know, Belgium are not comfortable playing with two deep line blocks, and that's what they did. They did what they had to do to win the match. I don't, I'm not going to buy into this notion that we should have won because we had more of the ball. Yes, we had more chances, but at the end of the day, they made the most of their chance. 
and we did not. Now, let's go to Portugal's lineup before I get into Belgium's goal. 4-3-3 again. Uh, Rui Patricio in goal. Diogo Dalo gets the start at right back. Again, I've already spoke. I didn't like this. I didn't think that was the, the problem. I didn't think that was the answer. And I think the problems with the right side were solved or resolved in the France match. The goal came from that side again today. So it's not just the defender, okay? Yeah, it was a poor clearance that ended up getting past uh, a square ball getting past to 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 um Torgan Hazard put it on his inside foot and he hit it well. I think Rui Patricio's vision was either blocked. I'll get that in a minute. Let me read the rest of the lineup. Okay, Dalo gets the start at the right back. Pep and Ruben Diaz are the center back pairing. Rafael Guerrero is the left back. Alinha Moutinho and Renato Sanchez in midfield didn't surprise me. Um, I'm fine with that. Either Palinha or Danilo, I'm fine with. I I view them pretty equally. Um, the difference is is I think Danilo can drop in between the center backs a little bit more and have been more help on on uh, on Romelu Lukaku. I didn't even now that I realized I didn't even finish the lineup with Belgium. Of course, it's Kevin De Bruyne, Aiden Hazard, and Romelu Lukaku in the in the attack. Um, with Hazard and De Bruyne playing behind Lukaku, but Lukaku didn't really didn't really affect this match too much in any way. I think he, he's a good player, and I again I got in an argument over him last night. He he did a lot of good things. He he his movements were fine. He stretched Portugal's back line. He put them under pressure. At the end of the day, he didn't have the dangerous goal scoring opportunity, but he did have a hand in the goal. And, of course, Portugal's front three was Ronaldo, Bernardo Silva, and Diego Jota. No change there. So he did have a hand in the goal, Lukaku. What he did was he stayed wide and he kept Diogo Dalot with him. Diogo Dalot had a split second to make a decision. Step out and close down Hazard and close down the shot or stay in his lane and cut off the pass to Lukaku. He chose the latter. He chose the latter. Hazard buried the shot. Okay, on this one, Rui Patricio gets beaten. And I think, I don't know if his view was blocked. But if you watch it again, his feet did not get set. He shuffled to the near post. He was reading a near post shot for some reason. Okay, and I don't know if that's because he was he was thinking that Hazard was going for the near post. I don't know if it's he didn't have a clear line of sight. But what happened was when he realized he had to go the other way, he he could not take that step he needed to take left, that side shuffle, and then push off that foot. So he had to push off the wrong foot, stick his hand out, he and he just couldn't reach far enough to keep that ball out. And Hazard, in a brilliant play, rather than curling the ball inwards, hit it more of a trivella, you know, with the with the outside of his foot. So the ball, rather than curving in towards the near post, went outwards towards the far post Patricio couldn't get it. it's a it's a fantastic goal okay it's a fantastic goal I'm not gonna sit here and say oh unlucky no that's a good shot and it's a good goal we had opportunities to do the same we didn't hit the ball well enough At the end of the day that's what happened so that was in the 42nd minute okay that was in the 42nd minute and right before halftime worst possible time to give up a goal uh we had to see how Portugal going to react. Of course, ABC put up the graphic at that point. If you watch here in the United States, that team scoring first 
or something like 29-2 and 6 or something like that in this Euro 2020. Um, and this match went to that form as well. They just were not able to find that equalizing goal. I think we had a very good second half from Portugal. Okay. I think we had a very good second half. I think Portugal gave what they had. Again, my issue is the fact that we were in this match facing this team this early because of the group stage, because we took a day off in the group stage. That is something going forward that can never happen again. And I'm not going to call for the manager's head here. Again, I'm so critical of the manager, yet I'm sitting here. I'm not calling for his head like a lot of people are. Partly because who are we going to bring in here? Okay, yeah, there's other options, but am I convinced that it's going to be that we won't be having the same conversation? I, you know, listen, um, possibly this team probably could use a younger manager with a more modern philosophy. I wouldn't, I wouldn't disagree there, but again, there were times where the players that the manager put on the pitch tonight had the opportunity to to affect this game positively. Diogo Jota misses one early. He gets played in nicely. The ball's on his left foot, and he just hooks it. He doesn't shoot well enough. Um, I think it was Vermeulen did a good job to close him down and rush that shot, which forced him to put it wide and hook it way too far wide. I think that that was part of um, the problem was that he was forced to do it early. We also had Jota, I think it was Jota, who had the, the turnaround when the ball dropped to him in the area. He turned, he beat the keeper, but he just put it over, okay? That also um, didn't help, okay? Yes, Ronaldo didn't have, he had one chance off a free kick, and that was it, that that um, was nicely saved by Courtois, and nobody followed it up for the rebound because the rebound was there to be had, but there was nobody in the area. But again, Ronaldo, Cristiano Ronaldo, playing, and I've always said he needs to be more of a box presence, but playing as a sole number nine with nobody near him is a very tall order to ask of a 36-year-old player, okay? Um, and I think the other forwards had a hard time getting close to him. And then um, Dave makes another good point here he says has this team showed the ability to play total offense and not give up corners I don't think so I also don't think so and again that's why I'm not so critical of the approach they take with looking to counter on their own we saw we saw counters in the final minutes that with a little bit of or I should say with a little less luck on our part Belgium would have made it 2-0 Carrasco had a chance to play his teammate for a tap-in. He waited too long to make his decision. We were fortunate. We do leave ourselves very exposed at the back. I, I, I look at this match, okay? And a lot of what we accomplished was also because Belgium allowed it to happen. Roberto Martinez changed the game plan in this one. I think he he also was fearful of being left exposed. And what I think is a good, if this was in fact his intention, what well, was a good coaching move by, by him, by Roberto Martinez, the Belgian manager, is 
not wanting to leave himself exposed to our counterattack, which we've shown even when we don't play well is dangerous. Okay. He decided he was going to let us have the ball and let us build up play a little bit, especially once they got the lead. Once they got the lead, they sunk it and invited us forward. He challenged us, and I probably would have done the same thing in his shoes because Portugal have not shown, as Dave just said, the ability to come forward and to attack and not leave themselves exposed to a counter. And that's why I think Belgium invited it forward, knowing they would get their opportunities. Now, I was a little bit surprised we didn't see Carrasco in the starting lineup. I thought we would see him. Um, again, I was surprised, and maybe it's because they were winning. We didn't see Jeremy Doku because his pace is just phenomenal, and I think it would have really, really been a lot for us to handle in 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 the case of, of defending a counterattack. Um, we didn't see either of those guys. We saw Eden Hazard play until he was injured and came off. Um, and I think that played into into our hands a little bit because I don't think Hazard hurt us at all today. Eden Hazard, of course. Younger Hazard did, obviously. He had the goal. Um, and I don't think Lukaku got the support he needed up front. He had a few a few times where he was posting up. Like I said, if we dropped deep, he was going to post and look for the turn or he was going to dish it backwards to, to, to De Bruyne. But um, I agree with Dave that we didn't really show that ability. Um, to go forward. And that's why we play so pragmatic. And that's, again, I don't expect Portugal to turn into Spain. I don't even want to see that. Some of people do. I get a lot of flack from the people that want us to play that way. Whether it's, you know, the Portuguese national team or the my club team, Benfica. I don't want to see us connecting a thousand passes. That's not, that to me is not effective. You may love it. It may be romantic for everybody. And I'm sure, you know, my friend here on Twitter that continues to to disagree with me on everything, which is fine. Um, he, I feel he wants to see us play that game. He wants to see a more attack-minded game. Yes, we keep going back to we're defensive. I, I've seen the criticism, and I don't necessarily agree. I think we need to – you can play defensive while raising your lines a little higher, okay, so that you don't invite teams in so deep. Again, you take the, the Germany match out, and I don't think it was a half-bad – job of planning this tournament it didn't always work out but i could see what the philosophy was against germany it was just it was from the first minute even after even going ahead it was just never it was never you know in our hand we were never on on the front foot in terms of control you can you can defend and control france does that okay france sits in but controls the game by doing that we we do not we we sit in and try to withstand withstand the attack, and when you face the level of teams we faced in these four matches, okay, you know what I rate Hungary much higher than I did when we started this tournament. Also, as they gave every team a hard time in this competition that they played, I think that um, looking back, yeah, we didn't get the results we wanted. Okay, four years ago we got the results and not the performance. This time. The performance wasn't as bad as people are saying, but the results didn't go our way. At the end of the day, you know, you advance with the results. We didn't get the draw we got last time either, okay? It could have very easily been derailed, remember, in Euro 2016 against Croatia. Okay, we happened to win that one in extra time. Maybe if today goes to extra time, we get this one too. 
Okay. Um, but it didn't go our way. I think Belgium did what they had to do. I think their plan was effective. They scored, they made the most of the opportunity they had. That's how you win football matches. I got some stats here. So possession went to Portugal 57.2% to 42.8%. Total shots, Portugal had 23 to Belgium's six. Portugal 17 chances created. 531 accurate passes for an 89% efficiency rate compared to Belgium's 375. Belgium played more the way we like to play, and we played more the way Belgium likes to play. It's an interesting matchup tonight. Um, Belgium created more or committed more fouls. Um, again, you look at this, and I look at duels one. Portugal won that battle. Okay, they won 57 to 52 in duels. One, I value that stat a lot. Tells me which team is likely working harder. Okay, both teams attempted 21 dribbles. Both teams succeeded on 14. So both teams are getting two-thirds of their dribbles succeeded. That's a real high rate. Portugal attempted 17 tackles, succeeded on 12. Belgium, 17 tackles, also attempted, succeeded on 7. Both teams won 14 aerial duels. Okay. It came down to efficiency. It came down to the ability to put the ball in the back of the goal. We didn't get it today. We didn't get help from the penalty spot. Okay. We also didn't, and that's, we didn't create a penalty opportunity either because we very rarely went into the box with the ball. Many times we forced crosses into a forward who was outnumbered. Every time we whip in a cross, it is one Portugal player, whatever color you want to call our, our kits, teal, to four red jerseys. Okay, we really we had one opportunity. João Felix got on the end of one, but he couldn't direct the header towards goal. He couldn't get it down. Again, on the corner, Ruben Diaz gets a nice contact on it, but he puts it right at Thibaut Coutois. Again, we talked about Jota's two opportunities, and you talk about Rafael Guerrero's opportunity. So, all in all, we had the opportunities to get it done. It didn't happen. That's football sometimes. Now, I think our future going forward is still bright. I think we've got Ronaldo for at least another cycle. Some people are writing him off. Um, whoever the manager is, Going forward, whether it's Fernando Santos, whether it's somebody else, I don't even know who you... I hope it's not Rui Jorge. I'll be honest, I don't want that. Um, this is this is a pressure-packed position. And here's another one from Dave. I like this. This is a good point from Dave here. He called for Paulinho. Those of you who don't know, Paulinho is a player in the Portuguese league, a striker, who on this podcast months ago in World Cup qualifiers, I... I called for him to be included as well. And even in the UEFA Nations League, I called for him to be included before he finally was. Um, yes, he's 100% right. We don't have that aerial presence. Um, if it's not Ronaldo, and Ronaldo against four is difficult, even for him. You get two in there? you Or, or at the end there, if we're going to be whipping in crosses, you got to have... Yeah, a Paulinho would have been great. Paulinho, Andres Silva, and Cristiano Ronaldo in the area for to get on the end of crosses. Now, we still have to deliver good crosses, which sometimes we do, sometimes we don't. 
But this is a real, real good point from Dave here. Um, he says that he should have been called. I, I agree. Again, why was Pot there? He wasn't going to be used. There is a guy that should have been in the 26 that you could have easily put in when, when we're struggling and not getting, like we are talking here, guys that can get on the end of a ball in the air. Yeah, absolutely. Well well said, Dave. Um, that is a guy that could have been in this team. No question about it. And it's not me. Just because Pot had the golden boot in the Portuguese League, okay? And we have to stop doing this, in my opinion. And not just us. Every national team has to stop doing this. Picking teams based on individual performances without considering a team dynamic. Without considering the roles that a team needs, okay? England is guilty of this as well. This is why I'm so harsh on them. Because instead of putting in players with the attributes they need, they put in, they make like an all-star team and play players that had good seasons. It, this When you get to a final tournament, it's different than when you have your international match days in the middle of the season. At that time, you have to go on form because you have two days to prepare and then you play a match. They had a camp. Okay, they had a camp. They had training. Okay, this team could have been better constructed. If you disagree with that, I mean, again, you're free to disagree, but how can you say that if we're coming into this, not only, not only did we lack an aerial threat or an additional aerial threat in the box offensively, we lacked once we lacked a legitimate substitute right back. For João Cancelo. I still will sit here and say that Diogo Dalo was not the right choice. I'm not going to blame him for the defeat. But how about a guy in this, and I think Dave may like this. How about a guy like Ricardo Isgayu in this team who can play more than one position in case these injuries happen? If you're still watching, Dave, let me know what you think about Ricardo Isgayu. I know he's never been in the national team, but you come to a final tournament. That game against Germany, that's the guy you could have subbed on to play in front of Nelson Semedo as a right-sided midfielder to help defensively. That could have stopped the bleeding. That, you know, I think the lack of, excuse me, I think the lack of versatile players came through and showed in this in this matchup. All right, I'm going to take a quick break here, and I will be back in about 30 seconds. Just one moment. You're listening to the Parking the Bus podcast's continuing coverage of Euro 2020 here on the PTB Media Network. All right, now that my coughing fit is over, welcome back. Um, those of you on the podcast just got a nice ad. Uh, those of you watching the live stream, I am back. And again, um, to put a, a bow on this match, again, did Portugal deserve better? Probably, but I'm not going to, again, I can't sit here and cry, oh, poor us, poor um, unlucky. You know, I can't say that. I can't honestly say we were unlucky because we were in a position we put ourselves in. And I don't relieve the manager or the players of responsibility of that. 
We could have done better. We took the group stage for granted. I think we came in with the intention of getting four points and advancing off four points. And that's what happened. And that put us in this situation today. Let's go to the first match of the day now, because this is not just a Portugal podcast. Uh, we got the Netherlands at uh, playing, and this match was in Budapest against the Czech Republic. Again, last night, yet another thing I argued with Leo about was this match, and it turns out he was right about this one. I didn't see this from the Czech Republic. I also didn't see Matthias De Ligt getting sent off in this one. But uh, let's go to the lineups here, and I'll start with the Czech Republic with Thomas Vaslik in goal. They're playing 4-2-3-1. Vladimir Kufal on the right, Andre Selutska and Tomas Kalas as the center backs. Pavel Kaderbeck is the left back double pivot in front of them. Thomas Susek and Thomas Holz in front of them. Three attacking midfielders, Lucas Masopust, uh, Antonin Barak, and Peter Sevich, Sevich, excuse me, playing behind the striker, Patrick Schick. Now, um, I said I didn't see how, how the Czech Republic were going to find a goal in this one. I guess I guess at the end of the day, uh, I guess at the end of the day, they did want to play the Netherlands and finish in, in the place they did in their group, and that's why maybe they gave such a lackluster effort against England. Not sure, but they found it. It did, of course, affect. Um, it did begin with them going up a man, and without Virgil Van Dyke, the Netherlands are, are very susceptible at the back. They're very vulnerable at the back. So without Virgil van Dyke, I do think that they got exposed today, especially once the Ligt went off, okay? And the play, it's in the second half, okay? I thought the Netherlands were good in the first half. They didn't capitalize. They had the opportunities, much like Portugal. Um, they had opportunities to go ahead. They didn't take those opportunities, okay? They couldn't get Memphis Depay in any dangerous positions today, okay? And Leo made a great point last night that he's not a true out-and-out striker, which today it showed. Um, I underestimated this Czech Republic team. I guess I shouldn't have. I should know better. Uh, of course, again, some of these matches are are, are complete toss-ups. So you never, you never fully understand um, on any given day that these matches can go any which way. Okay. The, the more talented team does not always win. The team that plays better does not always win. You have to be prepared for what the match throws at you. And the Netherlands again, showed an inability to adjust to the difficulties. And I think Frank DeBoer is done as manager. Um, I saw the, the meme going on through Twitter of Jose Mourinho calling him the worst manager in Premier League history. Seven matches, seven defeats, no goals scored. Uh, that's quite harsh. But again, I didn't think he was very good as Atlanta United manager either when he was here in Major League Soccer. Yet, for whatever reason, the Dutch FA decided he was the man to replace Ronald Koeman. And um, yeah, I, this team came out and played a style and a, a system that was unpopular to their supporters. And it ended up getting him here as their best defender is sent off. First of all, it's called he, he's so he's defending. The ball's going in. He falls. It hits his hand. Originally a yellow card. However, the referee gets told to go take a look at it by the VAR. 
Now, what's happening to me? What what I'm the questions I'm starting to get about VAR, as you see, it seems like whoever the referee is has a different protocol for the VAR. How many times do they not even go look at it? Now, this one was going to be on a total judgment call, I suppose. So that's why he went to look at it. But then again, if you have to look at it as a judgment call, how is that a clear and obvious error? I don't disagree with the outcome. I disagree with possibly him not seeing it the first time and changing his mind on something that's a judgment call. I guess I disagree in the language in which VAR is to be used. They use the acronym uh, COGSO, Clear and Obvious Goal Scoring Opportunity. That's what we call it here, in, at least in the United States. We use that our acronym. Referees use that acronym to, to um, describe the exact situation that happened here. And apparently the referee was told, I guess the VAR told him to look at it versus saying it was a clear and obvious goal. Because sometimes the VAR just tells them they don't go look at it and they and they make the call based on that. But I suppose since it's a potential red card offense of potential sending off, he went to take a look at it. He comes back. And, of course, once the referee makes the box, you know that the original call is being overturned because otherwise he just waves play. Um, and he, he waves off the yellow card, shows the lick to the red card. So he judged based on the replay. This was a clear and obvious goal-scoring opportunity. I don't disagree with that. I'm just um, curious as to how he didn't, why he didn't think that the first time around. Delict comes off, and um, okay, there they would have started with. Uh, I read the Czech Republic's lineup. The Netherlands had uh, Stecklenberg in goal, Devril, Delict, and Daily Blend across the back. Uh, not a back line that's putting fear in anybody. Uh, and, of course, the lift being sent off, as we said. In front of them, five in midfield. Denzel Dumfries as the wingback. Patrick Van Anholt as the other wingback. Then in the center, a trio of, of Jeannie uh, Wijnaldum, Frankie de Jong, and Martin Darun with the attackers, Daniel Malin and Memphis Depay. So looking at this now. Um, we get the sending off in the 52nd minute. In the 56th, Quincy Promise comes on. Danielle Malin comes off. Naturally, when you're only playing with three at the back, it has to be an attacker to come out to at least put three at the back. Um, and in the 68th, Thomas Hull is, gets the goal from Thomas Callis. Very nice goal. Well, well drawn up play. Uh, ball comes across the face of goal, gets headed back across the face of goal where Thomas Holes is waiting for it on the back post, manages to beat, uh, manages to beat even the Dutch player defending the, the, the goal post. It was off a corner kick and he did not come off the goal post. He stayed on it. He was defending it. Probably should have say it probably should have been kept out by the defender, but it was not. It found its way in. Czech Republic go ahead. The crowd in that end of the stadium completely erupts. Of course, we're in Budapest at the Pushkas Arena. Full house again. Let me see. The official attendance for this one was 52,834. It completely erupts. So uh, then uh, the Netherlands need to make another, another substitution. On comes Wout Weghorst. Off comes Martin Darun. The Czechs respond. Six minutes later, Jakub Janko comes on for Lucas 
Mesopust. And one minute after that, Patrick Schick gets on the end of a ball from Thomas Holtz. And Schick gets his third of the tournament. And he scores the Czech Republic lead 2-0. And I couldn't believe that the Dutch are going to go out to this Czech Republic team. Uh, uh, another attempt here as they make a double substitution on comes Steven uh, Berghuis and Jurian Timber for Patrick Van Anholt and Daly Blinn. Frankie de Jong sees a booking in the 84th. A couple of substitutions uh, for the Czechs that make really no difference in the match. Um, in the 90th plus two off comes Schick and, and Barak on comes Kriminich, uh, Kriminich and Sedin, Sedulik. And at the end of it, it, it goes to 90 plus six. The referee blows his whistle for full time. The Czech Republic advance to take on Denmark and hi. Denmark are gaining momentum, and I think Denmark will beat this Czech team, and I think Denmark will be in the semifinals. Um, that, I guess, is a wrap on today's round of 16 matches. Tomorrow, we have two more. You've got Croatia taking on Spain at noon Eastern time here in the United States, 9 Pacific. That match will be taking place in in Denmark, in Copenhagen. So that'll be 9 p.m. local time, I believe. No, sorry. That'll be 6 p.m. local time in Denmark. Um, it sh heat should not be a factor in that match, so it could be a very well-played match. However, I um, I don't know what Spain we're going to get. I really don't. Are we going to get the Spain that puts everybody to sleep connecting 1,000 passes a game and 890 of them being lateral or backward? I don't know. Are we going to get a Spain that finds the back of the net? We'll see. Croatia will probably be consistent to what we have seen. If they get their opportunities, they may very well take it. They're going to rely on a little bit of magic from. Um, they're going to rely on a little bit of magic from their their attack and from uh, Luka Modric. Excuse me, I drew a blank there. Uh, they're going to rely on that. Now we know, as of today, news broke. Ivan Perisic, who I think has been their best player in this tournament, is out. He's tested positive for COVID. He wouldn't be back until at least the semifinals. Um, so expect to see Ante Rebic back in the starting 11 tomorrow. And I don't think this is going to go well for Croatia unless Modric comes up with some bit of magic at some point and they somehow find a way to get a 1-0 victory out of this. I think Spain, despite how they have been playing, We'll find the back of the net. I think, I think um, you've got you've got some quality there. I know we've been harsh on Spain on this show, whether it's been me or either any of my guests. We've all been harsh with Spain, but Gerard Moreno can still score goals. He's the top Spanish goal scorer in the La Liga. Okay, so of all the Spanish players in La Liga, Gerard Moreno scores the most goals. Alvaro Morata can score goals. His 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 confidence is is ground level. It is it is as bad as it's ever been. It is in the ground. That does not mean he can't wake up tomorrow and feel like you know today's the day I break my my slump and today I'm gonna score. There's nothing special in this in this Croatia backline for me. I said the same thing about the Czechs yesterday. Today they played lights out, so I don't know about that. 
And okay, so Angel's jumping in here late. I did talk about Portugal earlier. Um, I thought today they were they were decent. I thought they played as well as they probably could, minus the fact that his question is, what do I think about Portugal and how they played? Um, I thought that they lacked quality in front of goal. And I think they lacked some quality in the final delivery. I think they made a lot of bad crosses that went right to, to Belgian defenders. Belgium always outnumbered Portugal in the area. They were well prepared. They changed their game plan. Portugal had their opportunities, didn't take them. And again, I'm not going to sit here and say we were unlucky because we put ourselves in a situation where we had to play Belgium in the round of 16. Had we taken care of business in the group stage, had we been better prepared, and this got me a lot of heat on Twitter, but had we been better prepared and had we managed the match better with Germany, and we get five points instead of four, we're playing Tuesday against England, and I fully believe we're beating uh, England on Tuesday. I think England are going out to Germany right now. I really do. I I don't believe they're going to beat Germany. And Dave is giving me, yeah, <laughs> Dave is going with, with Switzerland, France over two and a half goals at plus 125, money in the bank. It's great. Even without without my, my degenerate gambler friends on the show this week, we're still getting the betting lines, which is great. Um, I agree with that. I think that's money in the bank as well. Now, is that match will be tomorrow. That's the nightcap tomorrow. Let's move to that one. Um, Fran, I, I think that that's definitely money in the bank. You will get over two and a half goals from that. Um, I think France may, may have a cakewalk with, with Switzerland. Switzerland are a team, unless they're on, unless Seferovic goes on a tier or, or, um, uh, what's his strike partner's name there? Abolo in Bolo goes on a tear. Let's see. We do have prospective lineups for that one. So Imbolo, if if they go on a tear and and somehow get ahead of France, perhaps, but I think France so experienced, they don't have to play well to win. They score goals. Okay, I think Mbappe is going to have a a big match. He's due for one. I thought Portugal did a good job keeping him at bay, but. Antoine Griezmann for me is someone I'm still waiting to see the Antoine Griezmann that I know. And I think tomorrow's probably a good opportunity for him also to get on the score sheet and to start creating some stuff for them in that number 10 position. Karim Benzema is, is class. Okay. He, um, he doesn't need a lot of opportunities to score. If Paul Pogba keeps playing the way he has and he's sending those vertical passes into space for this this attacking trio, Switzerland are in big trouble, I think, in my opinion. N'Golo Conte lights out as usual. Um, and even France's back line I like a lot. Uh, I like that, that, that center-back pairing of Varane and Kimpembe. I think I'm much higher on Kimpembe than just about anybody. I like his 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 defensive play. Um, it's not always pretty, but he he is athletic enough to to deal with the strong and quick strikers. And he's hard nosed, and he 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 makes his tackles hard, 
and he he hits on him. He gets he gets his tackles. He's successful. Uh, right now, the perspective lineup is showing Leo Dubois playing at left back. We'll see. We'll see what Deschamp goes with. Deschamp is a manager that I I think has also sort of overdoes the management. He overthinks things. Um, I think he should just keep his best players on the field because they're that good. Even when they're not playing well again, they are effective. I think we could see France. I, I expect to see France not have trouble. It would not surprise me if they win 3 0, 3 1, 4 2, 4 1 in this one. Um, I could see them really, really doing damage to the Swiss team. Sw- the Swiss team relies very heavily. On playing through Shakiri. Okay. But Shakiri tomorrow is going to be met in midfield by Ingolo Kante, who is going to get help from Paul Pogba. Paul Pogba has been a beast in this tournament. Paul Pogba for France is not Paul Pogba for Manchester United. Or maybe he's maybe he's Paul Pogba for Manchester United five times a season versus day in and day out, like he is for France. Yeah, I, I think it's money in the bank tomorrow with that over two and a half goals. I play responsibly, but go for it. I would not, I would not, um, I will recommend that and second that recommendation. Um, those are the two matches we got tomorrow, and we'll be back again tomorrow. And I'm planning to have both Leo and Fade My Plays on here tomorrow. So at DGens United and at Fade My Play will be here tomorrow. I'm hoping to have them go against each other. I have one more question here, so I will get to it here. It's Angel once again, and he says, do I think Portugal should start another player to have more chances to score? Um, I think they should have made a change earlier. Uh, We talked about it. I think Andres Silva could have come on earlier. I think we could have seen Potts come in. I worked through that, and, and I don't even know that he was dressed. And we also talked about a couple players that weren't in the team that would have been useful most notably Paulinho of Sporting Lisbon, a aerial threat. We we If we were going to whip in crosses like that, we needed more guys in the area that are good in the air. And um, we got on the end of some, and we didn't, we didn't, you know, Joel Felix got his head on one, but couldn't direct it towards, couldn't get directed down enough. Ruben Diaz got his head on one, but it, and he got good contact on it too, but it went right at Thibaut Coutois. I think, on, on another day, if, if the same match is played and the same situations happen, Portugal get a goal in this match, I think. One of those finds its way in, whether it's the Rafael Guerrero ball off the post, whether it's Jota's chance in the first 10 minutes when he was rushed just enough by, by um, Vermeulen, I want to say it was, um, when he, he was rushed just enough to hook that that shot too far wide. It was on his less preferred left foot, and it was rushed, thus coming off the wrong part of his foot and getting hooked too far to the far post. But I think the starting lineup I thought was fine. I I expected it, so it's hard for me to sit here and say that they should have done this or should have done that because I always look at it knowing the manager. I kind of can guess where he's going, and I didn't expect to see a different starting eleven. The only surprise for me, and I guess it's not even that much of a surprise because everyone was calling for it except for I, was Diogo Dalo getting the start at right back. I don't think that changed anything at all. 
I don't blame him for the loss, but it didn't bring anything to the team either. Um, he gave us absolutely nothing going forward except more crosses that went directly to Belgian defenders. Um, he had one play that was pretty good. He made a tackle down deep, got up quickly, and then delivered a ball. I think Portugal, what they needed to do and they didn't do was beat that defender, gain the inline. And I've talked about this on this show since the second night, I think. We talked about it. you got to get those defensive lines turned around facing their own goal. We saw more own goals in this tournament than we've seen in many. And I think the key to that is getting those defenders turned around by getting in, gaining the end line, the goal line, coming across it, forcing them to face their own goal, and then driving the ball low along the ground, which could, you know, it gets redirected by anybody, and it's going towards the goal. They didn't do that today. They they opted to cross early. They allowed Belgium's back line to hold their position and to keep the ball in front of them. It's always easier to win a header on a cross if you're stepping forward versus backpedaling. Okay, they didn't get anything in behind today. Everything stayed in front of Belgium's back line. And at the end of the day, that's why the ball didn't go in. Okay, uh, that's why there were no easy tap-ins today. There were there was nobody on the end of crosses um, in dangerous positions other than the couple that I mentioned. So I don't think it was so much more the players that that started. I think it was more the approach today. I think when three or four of those crosses don't work, one of the wide players needs to gain that in line and take that defender on. Again, I don't think they attacked Vertonghen enough. Vertonghen is a guy at my club. I, I watched all 34 matches he played in the league or all 30-plus matches in all competitions that he played this year. He was exposed by just about everybody at some point. Portugal did not do enough to get into to his space and run at him. Um, part of that was he was protected by the positioning because they sat in deeper. They had a low-lying, deep positioning, keeping the game in front of them. I think Roberto Martinez made that adjustment intelligently. I'm giving him credit for this one, um, that he changed the approach, especially when they went up and they realized they didn't have to go forward anymore. They didn't want to leave themselves um, they didn't want to leave themselves exposed to the counter, and I give him credit for that. If I'm facing Portugal, I'm also going to tell you that if you're going to beat me, you're going to beat me by constructing play yourself. We're not going to go forward and leave ourselves exposed and allow you a quick counter, which is what Portugal have done so well. Um, so that that's where I, I see on that. All right, that's going to wrap this episode 57 on the live stream. Those of you that are listening to the podcast, You've got bonus content coming up. That's right. The next segment on the podcast only will be my uh, review of the recent Copa America matches. Okay. If you want to hear that, you got to go to your Apple podcasts in the morning, Spotify, uh, iHeartRadio. Go to uh, ask Alexa to play the Parking the Bus podcast, and you can hear it in the final segment there. So uh, this is going to be it for tonight. Thank you for joining, everybody. Thank you to everyone in the chat. That tonight was was contributing to the show and was interacting with me. Like I said, tomorrow I'm planning to have some guests here with me. I'm planning actually to play Dana White and put them head to head with each other and let them argue about England versus Germany. That that is the main event tomorrow night because I know they have opposite um opposite viewpoints and I do not promise to be a fair referee. You will probably see me jump in on the side of one versus the other because I share one's opinion and not the others. 
but it should be fun. So tomorrow, 8 o'clock Eastern time, right back here where you're watching right now, okay? But don't forget, in the morning, go into your podcast player, download the Park in the Bus podcast. You can find it on Apple, Spotify, on TuneIn, on CastBox, uh, on many, many places. If you don't find it there, just go to www.parkingthebusmedia.com. It'll be there. Okay, it'll be in the top of the podcast feed. It'll be episode 57. It's going to be, it's not the video. So don't, don't watch the video if you're looking for the Copa America segment. It's only in the podcast. Okay, it's only in the audio. So until tomorrow, that's going to be it for today. Thank you for joining me. This is the Mr. Mike Agustinu signing off. Don't forget to give me a follow over at PTB underscore media, both on Twitter and on Instagram. And also go over to the parking, uh, the PTB media network, YouTube page. Okay, hit the subscribe button at the bottom of the screen. Okay, hit that little bell right next to it to subscribe, to uh, be alerted every time I go live. Thank you again, and I'll see you tomorrow. You're listening to the Parking the Bus podcast here on the PTB Media Network, your English language home of Copa Libertadores. And welcome back to Parking the Bus, episode 57. And as you know, this is the bonus content now, only available exclusively on the podcast feed. So thank you for downloading and listening. Please, if you have not already, go to your Apple Podcasts, your Spotify, wherever you're listening to this, hit subscribe. All right. And if your platform offers a place for a rating, please give Parking the Bus a rating, preferably a five star rating, but whatever you believe it deserves. Okay. As that will help us get this, this content out to more and more people. Now, before we get in to Copa America, there's something I left out in the live stream and in the, in the video portion of the podcast. If you were watching, if you were watching live and you've switched over to the podcast, and you've downloaded and hopefully subscribed. I thank you from the bottom of my heart immensely. You don't know how much um, that means to me because the podcast is still the bread and butter of this operation. And going video, I'm going to admit, has cost me podcast downloads. I understand that is kind of how it works. But I am uh, always grateful that people are checking out my content regardless. But I do appreciate uh when you subscribe to the podcast, download the show, even if you don't listen to it, even if you watch it live on the video, download it, play it for 15, 20 seconds and delete it. That helps me immensely. You you have no idea how much that helps me. All right, before we get into this Copa America, like I said, the part I left out and I meant to get to was breaking down our Parking the Bus Euro 2020 Pick'em Challenge. So, as we are reducing the number of teams available, right? Four teams have been eliminated now from the round of 16, so we're down to 12. Tomorrow we'll be down to we'll be down to 10, I want to say. Yeah, tomorrow will so no, we yeah, tomorrow we'll be down to 10 teams and on Tuesday at the end of Tuesday we'll have all eight quarterfinalists. So here is the table now as we keep moving towards the final on July the 11th of 2021. Here is first place. It is DMAC now at 19 points as he pulls ahead of James Allen Arnold. And I cannot believe my eyes because tied with James is my wife, Miriam, on 18 points. She watches about as much football as I watch Oprah. 
Okay, so she tunes in once every every two years to watch her Azuri play, and that's about it. And she has she is right up there with all of the players. She's literally running for the title right now. I cannot believe what I'm seeing. Um, I thought I was smart. Wait till you find out where I fall in this table. Also on 18 points is at Rimo Cray. He's got 18 as well. And then in, tied in fifth is a number of people. So we've got Lucas Diedrich on 17 points, as is Mario Alexi Taran, Leo Kukakis at E Unum. 1904 also um, with 17. In 10th place now we have three people tied for 10th. Claudio Abrunoza Pardal has 16 points as does Brian Hanford and Josh Marsal. My old man Fernando Agustinho in 13th leading the or I should say even with at James Makes Picks they have 15 points apiece. Nuno Pereira, Tiago Gomes at Moonblast X have 14, they're tied for 15th place. Then in 18th place, Matthew Cadet, Zachary Grimes, and the PTB Media Network with 13 points. My Mr. Benfica count sits second bottom in the relegation zone on 10 points, 21st place, only two points ahead of my five-year-old son, Romero P. Productions. Yes, that is his name he came up with. Um, he sits in 22nd with 8 points. And let me tell you, he picked Austria and Wales to go to the final. So he's probably got all the points he's going to get. I lost my champion today, no question about it. You can guess who I picked to win it. Um, so don't think I'm going to get too many more points there. But neither is too many people because I can tell you now I've looked at just about all the cards and everyone had Portugal either in the final or or uh, or losing the final or winning the final. Almost everybody. So it'll be interesting to see if someone down here had something else that I didn't catch and um, see who ends up winning this. But right now it is DMAC in the lead. All right, let's move to Copa America. Wednesday, June the 23rd, Ecuador versus Peru. And it is being played at the Estadio Olímpico, Pedro Ludovico Teixeira in Goiânia. And the 11 for Ecuador in goal is Hernán Galíndez. He is he, um, the goalkeeper tonight, selected by the manager Gustavo Alfaro. And four in the back in there, 4-4-1-1, Angelo Preciado is the right back. Robert Arboleda and Piero Hincapi are the two center backs. And Purvis Estupinian of Villarreal is the left back. Um, down the midfield, four in midfield, as we said. On the left, Eduard Preciado, uh, Moises Caicedo, and Jegson Mendes in the center with Alan Franco down the right. Damian Diaz sits in the number 10 position behind the striker Leonardo Campaña. For Peru, their manager Ricardo Garesa or Gareca, excuse me, sends out a 4-2-3-1 with Pedro Gallese in goal. Aldo Corzo is the right back. Christian Ramos and Alexander Cajens are the center back pairing with Miguel Trayuco on the left. Double pivot in midfield in front of them. Renato Tapia partnering with Josimar Yotun. And in front of them, the three-man attacking midfield. 
with Sergio Pena in the center, Andre Carrillo to the right, and Christian Cueva to the left, and they're playing behind the striker, Gianluca Lapadula. So this match, um, basically everybody's trying to not come in last place here and find their way in to the quarterfinals. And Peru and Ecuador um, needing points in this one. And the predictable result is what happens. We get a 2-2 draw as uh, Tapia has an own goal in the 23rd minute that puts Ecuador uh, in front. And then in the 45th plus 3, we get another goal. This one from Eduard Preciado, assisted by Damian Diaz. Uh, Damian Diaz, of course, comes into this match a little bit uh, before that. And you get a 2-0 lead for uh, Ecuador in the second half, though. Uh, it opens up and Peru show uh, their fighting uh, spirit. They come from behind. Gianluca Lapadula in the 49th makes it 2-1. Gets on the end of a ball from Cristian Cueva. And then six minutes later in the 54, it is the former Benfica midfielder, former Sporting Lisbon midfielder, and I think he's still at Al-Hilal in Saudi Arabia. It is André Carrillo. He makes it 2-2. He gets the assist from the goal scorer of the first goal, Lap Badula. It is 2-2. And the two teams see out that result. It is a 2-2 final result. Ecuador and Peru both take a share of the points. And both set themselves up in pretty good shape to advance. Later that night, we move to the Ingenio in Rio de Janeiro. And it is Brazil hosting Colombia in a controversial uh, matchup. Uh, one that I actually had the joy of watching from start to finish. Um, it was Colombia coming out on the front foot. But first, let's look at the lineups in this one. Colombia comes out with David Ospina in goal. Of course, Colombia's manager is Reynaldo Rueda. Uh, 4-4-2 for, for Colombia. Daniel Munoz, the right back. Davison Sanchez and Jerimina are the center backs. William Tesillo, the left back. While in midfield, they go with the double pivot of Wilmar Barrios and Mateos Uribe. To the left, Luis Diaz. And to the right, Juan Cuadrado. In attack, it is Rafael Santos Borre, the River Plate striker, teaming up with Atalanta's Duvan Zapata. While Tiche, the Brazilian manager, sends out a 4-4-2. In goal for this one, it's the third keeper who gets a chance. It is Weberton of Palmeiras. He gets the a, a start. A rare start for someone not named Ederson or uh, Alisson. And actually, even Ederson's starts are rare, few and far between. The right back in his 4-4-2 is Danilo of Juventus, of course. Marquinhos and Thiago Silva, the center back pairing. Former teammates at Paris Saint-Germain, of course. And another Juventus element, Alexandro is the left back. The right-sided midfielder from Flamengo is Everton Ribeiro. Casimiro and Fredge are the double pivot in midfield with Richarlson of Everton going down the left side of the midfield. In attack, it is Gabriel Jesus and Neymar. Um, there was a play here where Neymar dribbled Ospina and should have gotten out of the way of the ball, and he didn't. 
Uh, Gabriel Jesus would have been able to tap it in, but Neymar instead off balance decides to swing his body around and try to direct it on goal. He misses. But the first goal of the match comes fairly early. Let's take a look here. It is 10 minutes in, actually, and it is a wonder strike from FC Porto's Luis Diaz. He gets on the end of a cross from Juan Cuadrado, and it is a bicycle kick or an overhead scissor kick into the back of the goal. Colombia shocked the hosts in the defending champions early. 1-0 to Colombia. At halftime, Teach makes two substitutions. In comes Roberto Fermino, replacing Everton Hibeiro, and Atletico Madrid's Genan Lodi comes on. And th- this actually came a little bit later in the 62nd. He replaces Alexandru on the left. And the matches, it is a lot of Brazil coming forward, but Colombia staying in, uh, holding their, their lines, holding their positions, and cutting out the attacks. Um, in the 64th minute, however, we get a double substitution for Colombia. Miguel Borja comes on replacing Zapata and Gustavo Cueja will replace Rafael Santos Borre. In the 68th, Teach decides to go with Lucas Paqueta. He replaces Fredge and brings a little extra element to that midfield for Brazil. As Brazil are looking to get the equalizer, Cuadrado goes into the book in the 70th minute. In the 77th, Everton Cibolinha of Benfica comes on, replaces Gabriel Jesus, and Gabriel Barbosa, known much better to the listeners of this show and to just about everyone as Gabi Goal. He comes on in the 77th as well, replaces Richarlson. And just like that in the 78th, it is the Liverpool man Bobby Firmino getting on the end of a, of a ball from Renan Lodi. And Firmino makes it 1-1 with 12 minutes to play. Colombia's hearts are broken. Ospina goes into the book in the 81st. In the 87th, it's Neymar going into the book. A lot of stoppages. Referee in um, the referee in this match. And this this and I want to go back to the goal actually. Brazil's uh, equalizing goal had a lot of controversy. This is where all the controversy comes from. The the official in this match, the center referee, was Argentina's Nestor Pitana. He's a referee that if you, again, listen to this show, if you watch Copa Libertadores, you're very familiar with this referee. He does a lot of the games in the Copa Libertadores, especially the ones when it's Brazilian teams against each other. If I'm not mistaken, he was the center referee in the final of the most recent Copa Libertadores. Of course, it was Palmeiras versus Santos at the Maracanã. Nestor Pitana cuts. uh, There's a pass played. It hits Nestor Pitana. And Colombia thought that play was going to stop because when the referee interferes, he has the ability to stop the play. Nestor Pitana decides not to. The ball comes right back to Brazil. Colombia feels that that ball was headed right to a Colombian player had it not hit the referee. They stop playing. He knocks it out wide for, for Renan Lodi. Lodi crosses and Firmino scores. The Colombians lose their collective minds. They're all over Nestor Pitana. And if I'm not mistaken, this even went to a VAR check for whatever reason. And in the end, you know, nothing was done. The goal was was upheld. There was no overturn. And as a result, when we hit the 90-minute mark, 10 minutes of stoppage time added. Yes, 10 minutes, which also drove the Colombians crazy, and rightfully so. Oscar Murillo would enter the match in the 90th plus one to replace Luis Diaz. 
Wilmar Varios would go into the book in the 90th plus 9, just when it looked like it was set to be a 1-1 draw. Brazil get a corner kick late, 90th plus 10, yes, you guessed it. Neymar with the corner kick, and he finds the head of Casimiro in the Real Madrid, man. Puts the ball into the back of the goal. Yes, 2-1 to one to the Canarinha late in the second half. But not before uh, Gustavo Cueja would go in the book in the 90th plus 2 for the 90th plus 12, excuse me, for protests. Finally, the match ends at that point, and Brazil take all three points against all expectation, against the odds. And just like that, Brazil take the lead in the group or keep the lead in the group. It's their third victory in the group. Colombia, besides themselves, losing all three points in a match they were leading with 12 minutes to play. We move to Thursday, Bolivia taking on Uruguay. Uruguay take care of business. They get goals from uh, he. They get an own goal from Lampe, and then Edison Cavani gets one in the 79th. Uh, Uruguay win two to nil, and on the same night, Paraguay taking on Chile, and Paraguay gets goals from Samu, and then a penalty from the former Atlanta United midfielder Miguel Almiron, and Paraguay take three more points and put themselves in good position as they now have six points from three matches, joint top of the group. And then we had two matches today, and I can report these scores now. have not seen these matches, but Brazil held to a 1-1 draw earlier today by Ecuador. Goals coming from Eder Militão in the 37th minute, and then Jerry Mina, Mena excuse me, in the 53rd minute as... It would, oh sorry, Angel Mena, excuse me, gets on the end of a ball, assisted by Enert Valencia, as Militão's goal was assisted by Everton Cebolinha. And just like that, Brazil dropped two points, and that affects the table. And then there's one more match in that group today, and it was the one, it was heartbreak for the Vino Tinto, El Vino Tinto. Venezuela lose 1 0 to Peru. Peru come in and get a goal from Andre Carrillo once again as he would put in another good performance. 48th minute goal for Peru. That closes out the Grupo, the Grupo Norte. And here is the final table in the Grupo Norte. Everyone has now played four matches. Brazil topped the group with 10 points. Peru second place with 7 points. Colombia our third with four points. Ecuador, as a result of that vic- that draw to Brazil, end up advancing by one point over Venezuela. Josep Pezeiro's Venezuela, Elvino Tinto, eliminated. But they can, I think, go home with their heads held high, considering they had to replace 15 players due to positive COVID-19 tests. A full second choice squad coming into this Copa America. And they fought hard and they fought to the end. Allowing only six goals in four matches. Losing by the smallest of margins each time. And it is it is the end of the road for Venezuela. 
Unfortunately, I really wanted to see them do well, but they'll be happy to go home and to refocus. And come September, they will be ready to continue World Cup qualifying still wide open in South America. So it is Brazil, Peru, Colombia, and Ecuador advancing out of the Grupo Norte. Tomorrow, two more matches to close out the group stage. Bolivia taking on Argentina and Uruguay taking on Paraguay. The two matches will both kick off at 8 p.m. Eastern time here in the United States. Of course, they are available on Fox. I, I'll double-check this, but I believe here. Uh, let me not give you the wrong information. Yes, Argentina-Bolivia will be on Fox Sports 1 and on 2DNA and on Unimas here in the United States, while Uruguay-Paraguay will be on FS2 and FS2 uh, HD, as well as on Galavision and on Univision now. So plenty of, of uh, streaming and television options for tomorrow's conclusion to the Zona Sur. And um, at this time tomorrow, we will know the eight quarter finalists. So what I'm going to do as a programming schedule tomorrow, I will finish the Zona Sur at the end of this episode like I did today. I'll I'll give you the quarterfinal matchups, and then on we uh, actually yes on Tuesday night, Tuesday night the bonus coverage will be a review of this weekend's action in the Brasileirão, and there's a lot to talk about. There were uh, there was some upset results this weekend, as can be expected with so many players away on national team duty. It was a wild weekend in the Brasileirão, and I can't wait to break it down on Tuesday night for you. But that's going to do it. For real now on this episode 57, thank you for listening to Mr. Mike Agustinu here at PTB underscore media on Instagram and on Twitter. Um, you can also follow the show on Facebook if that's your preferred platform. Just go to Facebook and search for Parking the Bus. It will come up and I will hear, you'll hear from me and I'll see you on the live stream on Monday night to break down the Euro matches and, of course, the final matches of the group stage in Copa America. Thank you, everybody, and we'll catch you next time here on the PTB Media Network. Passado e vivo o presente E se for primeiro levo toda a gente Ao meu lado Tenho os mesmos deste ser Firme na corrida Com a fé na minha vida Até o fim Nós só sabemos viver assim Olhem para mim Para tudo Passa a palavra Digo que estou aqui Com família, amigos A minha volta para
sou um craque Fecha na claque, hoje é só loucura, vencemos o combate Isso aqui é futebol, fizemos com amor, sem raça, sem Eu